Well, as we've tried to make clear, today is a fun day at church um, because we come to celebrate what we believe is the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if you're a Christian, you're probably okay with that fact. You're probably sold on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. A lot of us grew up in church. We've heard that a long time. We've been talking Easter for a long time. And so when talking about someone raising from the dead, we're not all that surprised. But to believe someone had been dead for a few days and then stopped being dead all of a sudden can sound a little silly to some people. I'm not going to deny that. Um, because maybe, uh, maybe you don't know this, but I think all of us are pretty well aware that dead people usually stay dead. Anybody shocked by that? Okay, No one's like, what? I didn't know. Um, and so we're not surprised by that. And usually when we come to something like this that sounds too outlandish or too fantastic to be true, I mean, it usually is. We've seen it all. We've been advertised it all. We've seen movie special effects to the point where we just kind of think fantastically over-the-top, too-good-to-be-true things usually are. And someone coming back from the dead, that kind of falls into that category of myth and fairy tales and bedtime stories. And, you know... To say that someone came back from the dead, to say that in real life, that gives us a little bit of a hang-up. If you heard that about anybody else on any other day, it would cause you to stop and say, whoa, some, wait, you're telling me someone who was dead for two days, they just popped up in the morgue and they were fine. Like, that would be a news headline, but we talk about it on Easter and at church, and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, like it's no big deal. But for the rest of our lives, that's something you hear in Marvel movies, or Harry Potter, or Star Wars, right? Like, that's something that doesn't surprise us in those fantastic realms. In fact, how many of you are Star Wars fans? Yeah, how many of you saw the trailer for the new Star Wars movie that came out in the last two weeks? At the end of that, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil something in the trailer for you. At the end of that trailer, everything's going fine. You're like, okay, cool, looks like a good Star Wars movie. And then the end, it fades to black, and the long-dead emperor cackles at the end. And you're like, oh, is the emperor coming back from the dead? That's really exciting. I had almost forgotten about him. That was like three movies ago. And you kind of like get excited. But nobody's surprised, right? Why? Because Star Wars isn't real. I mean, no matter, I hope that's not also not news to you. Uh, um, well, sorry, it's two spoilers, yeah. Hopefully when it says long ago in a galaxy far, far away, hopefully you weren't thinking that was like in a history book somewhere. Um, but, but like, you know, we don't get upset by that. We don't get surprised by that. We don't get phased by that. And so when we like, um, I think about when I was growing up, and I love Star Wars growing up, and so all the times as a kid, and maybe a few times as an adult, when I was sitting on th at the table and reaching for the salt shaker that was just out of my reach, or on the couch and the remote's just out of reach, all those times I went and concentrated real hard just on the slim possible chance that it might zip over to my hand and I might have a force and be, the je be a Jedi, it never happened. Again, because it's not real, and we know it's not real. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the Bible. Again, that shouldn't be news, you're at church. And I also want to highlight what I think has kind of been a belief that has undermined our faith and the faith of a lot of people who maybe used to have faith and no longer do. Something that is actually, it's a belief that tends to be the first domino that falls over as people begin to lose their faith. And it comes from the fact that the Bible is full of a lot of those fantastic stories that are really hard to believe. Um, again, it seems not silly to acknowledge that the force isn't real, Okay, 
But then Christians, after we, we, we can tell truth from myth there, but then we come to the Bible, and Christians have no problem like, talking about a story where a guy got swallowed by a huge fish, barfed back up on the beach without a scratch on him. We're like, yeah, that's true, but the force, that's crazy talk. But this guy who got eaten by a fish and puked back up, totally legit, totally true. And so it sounds very far-fetched, and it becomes very easy for a lot of people to just take the whole Bible and toss it into the myth category. Yeah, I might have some nice moral thoughts. Jesus seemed like a good teacher. But as far as looking at it and being true, a lot of people just are, it, it's a no-brainer to just toss it into the faith myth category. And because people struggle seeing the Bible as truthful, well, then Christianity can't be truthful either. Because there's a very common assumption that almost everybody in our society has. The Christian faith was built on the Bible. That also probably doesn't shock a lot of you, but... you. Christians believe this, tend to believe this. Non-Christians tend to believe this. It's a perfectly normal assumption. And since the foundation of our faith is the Bible, if the foundation is myth, then it just follows suit that our faith is myth as well. And so if you take away the Bible, Christianity goes with it. And this is why so many people who are kind of out to get the Christian faith or disprove the Christian faith, their target is almost always the Bible. Because they think, if I can just take out the Bible, I'm going to take out the faith. I can, if I can make someone doubt the Bible, I can make them doubt their entire faith. And so anytime someone is working to disprove Christianity, almost every time, they'll get, come up with arguments against the Bible. And so, again, they think, if I can t- get rid of the Bible, people are going to doubt their entire faith in the first place. Because the Bible is what created Christianity in the first place. And again, Christians, we believe this too, but we're just on the other side of the argument. We're pro-Bible, pro we believe it's truth, and thus pro-faith, because we think everything in the Bible is 100% true, and so therefore our faith is 100% true. Same belief, just two different perspectives on it altogether, on the Bible. And for a lot of you that grew up in church, you were a kid when some adult told you the Bible is 100% true and trustworthy, and you believed them. Because you were a kid and you trusted them. But what's funny is the person that told you that the Bible was 100% true probably hadn't even read 100% of the Bible. But you believed it. And some of you believe it now and would say you believe it now even though you haven't read 100% of the Bible. And so we believe the Bible is true and we Claim that, even though most of us probably haven't read it all. And I'm not picking on you for not reading the Bible. There's some parts of the reading the Bible that are rough. As a preacher, I can, I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit some of that stuff is rough. But what happens is, when we say that the Christian faith was built on the Bible, somebody will eventually come along with an argument against the Bible, against the reliability, the trustworthiness of the Bible that sounds really, really credible. Someone will be able to present us with questions and arguments for which we were never given answers growing up in church. And for a lot of people who grew up in church, they were taught to accept the whole Bible in, on, on blind faith. And then they encountered somebody down the road of life who had a different worldview than them, who, who th- kind of picked apart the Bible a little bit, and it totally rocked their world. For a lot of people that happened in college, um, Christians are pretty good about tossing out the very you know, evil stereotype of that angry college professor, atheist college professor, who's just you know, basically 
waiting for that naive freshman Christian to come into class so they can just destroy their faith and flex their superior intellect. I don't know if that's always the case, but what I do know is that when you go to college, you are opened up to an entire host of different worldviews and religious beliefs and stuff that you never saw before. You saw people who had a different faith, which maybe you've never met anybody who claimed to be anything other than a Christian, and you meet this person, and they seem more devout than anybody you knew in church growing up, and it just kind of starts to mess with your beliefs. And yes, every now and then you come across somebody who makes fun of Christians and how ignorant we are and how we're dumb and we don't know anything about the Bible that we claim to believe. But some people, it wasn't at college. Some people, it just came through the wonderful gift that we now have called the internet. The internet makes it possible for everyone in this room to learn about any possible perspective on any possible topic. And there's a lot of very smart, very intellectual sounding, very witty, very convincing people out there who attack the reliability of the Bible. And you can come across this stuff pretty easily with a uh, a few short YouTube searches. And their arguments sound so legitimate. And they can pile them up against the Bible, just taking aim, just picking the Bible apart, making it sound as if it's nonsense and we're foolish to believe something, that we might as well be believing in fairy tales and we might as well be, be claiming that Tinkerbell is real as well as Jesus. They make it sound that way. And so you have a lot of people who grew up in church and they lost their faith their in, because their entire faith rested on the Bible and someone takes out the Bible and they don't know what to do. Since the Bible's gone, I can't believe anything that I believe. And again, it's just one of the first dominoes that tends to fall when someone loses their faith. And I think one of the things you're starting to see in our culture is we have lost almost two entire generations of people. The church has missed almost two entire generations of people because We've said it's got, you got to believe everything in the Bible, and, and there's enough people out there throwing arguments to make people doubt the reliability of the Bible. And so they just think, I just can't seem to get over that, and if the Bible's not true, then my faith can't be true. But what if? What if that is a myth? What if that isn't entirely true? And I think what everybody needs to know today, whether you're a Christian or not, is that the Bible did not create Christianity. Christianity existed before the events and details of Jesus' life were written down. Christianity existed before those documents of Jesus' life were bound up in a book that we now call the Bible. There were Christians, churches, long before the Bible was put together. Christianity did not create, the, or the Bible did not create Christianity. Christianity created the Bible. And so now, if you're here and you're a Christian, you might be getting nervous because the preacher seems to be knocking the Bible. And you're like, oh no, that's not supposed to happen at church. And you might think that I'm saying that the Bible isn't special, or that the Bible isn't true, or the Bible isn't God's word. I'm not saying that. I absolutely believe the Bible is true. I believe it's God's word, and I believe it's trustworthy to the end. And, but what I'm actually saying is the Bible's not the problem. The Bible is absolutely not the problem. The problem is believing that the Bible is what started Christianity. Because then all someone has to do is make you doubt the Bible, and that takes everything out, everything else out with it. So, let's say someone does come along with, a, with like a open and shut, airtight case against the Bible. Let's say somebody comes along and says, the Bible was created by a bunch of 
very serious, very greedy religious men in robes, and they wrote this book and fabricated a bunch of stories and twisted a bunch of truths, and they bound it together because they were corrupt, and they just wanted to get a bunch of people to follow them and give them authority and power and, most importantly, money in the form of donations. That's what the Bible is. It's this corrupt thing. You can't trust it. Let's say somebody comes up and totally dismantles the Bible that we have today. Does that dismantle Christianity? Well, if the, Christian, if the Bible started Christianity, yeah, but what if it didn't? What if there was something that came before the Bible? What if there was faith before Christianity ever existed, before the Bible ever existed, excuse me? And that, by the way, that's well documented outside of the Bible that there were Christians, that there were these people that believed in a resurrection, that they believed it so strongly they would go to their deaths believing it. All of that stuff was written about before we had the Bible. So if the Bible isn't the launching part of Christian faith, what is? Well, it's the thing we come to celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus. That's what started the church. That's what started Christianity. The Bible followed later as people wanted to record what was happening among all these Christians and among these people of faith. But the Bible did not start Christianity any more than your birth certificate birthed you. When people showed up at the hospital after your mama gave birth to you, they didn't walk in and say, all right, nice kid, I need to see some documentation. I need to see the birth certificate. I'd like to meet the doctor that delivered the baby. I want him to sign a piece of paper so I can make sure his handwriting matches the handwriting on the birth certificate. Then and only then will I believe that this child is a legitimate child of yours. Like, nobody does that. Why? Because you walk in like, okay, the kid was here, and then this document, it reports the fact that the child was already born. The Bible is the same way. The church existed because Jesus rose from the grave. These people had this deep faith in what he accomplished for them on the cross and through rising out of the grave, and then they wanted to write it down because they thought, this is incredibly important, life-changing stuff. And so the Bible came after Christians. And so, again, if someone wants to poke holes in the Bible... I'll be honest, I'll say first off, there are plenty of good, logical, legitimate arguments in favor of the validity and the truthfulness of the Bible. They just, uh, most people just, you don't, we don't always want to give the time to long, drawn-out arguments that can prove the historicity of ancient documents, right? If anytime you had a class in high school or college that got into that kind of stuff, you were probably head back snoozing or something. I did this little thing where I'd rest my head like this so the teacher could not see my eyes and hopefully the drool that was probably dripping onto the table, right? That's, we just don't want, we just have a hard time maintaining our attention span to go towards that stuff. And when you got somebody who's really witty and funny on the other side, it's just a hard case to make, but it's absolutely 100% there. So again, the Bible is not the problem, and so we have a different starting point for our faith, and it's the resurrection. In fact, one of the guys who ended up writing a bulk of the New Testament, his name was Paul. He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, Greece. Corinth, Greece is not really a city anymore, but it used to be. Its ruins are still there. I've actually been to the ruins of Corinth, Greece. I've walked on the marble roads and all that. It's really cool to see something that incredibly old. But even this guy who wrote most of the Bible said, there's one thing that our faith hinges on, and it's not these scriptures. It's not these documents that we're writing. It's the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Meaning, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then I have wasted my life. 
This job I have of going around and planting churches all over the Roman Empire, it's a joke, and I've wasted my time, and you have been a fool for believing me. And then he goes on a few verses later, verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Meaning you came to Christianity hoping that you could be forgiven and find some way to heaven and see the people that you loved again when you die. But if Jesus didn't rise, then you're in trouble. And those people, by the way, that you love that you hope to see again, those people who've fallen asleep in Christ, they didn't go to heaven because they were believing something that was a lie. If the resurrection isn't true. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, meaning if, nothing, if we don't get anything more out of Jesus but good moral teaching, stuff that kind of makes our life a little better now, if that's all we can look forward to, then we, of, we are of all people most to be pitied. Meaning then we're a joke. And people have every right to make fun of us for wasting our lives if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. So you can say, the Bible's an issue. You can say, I don't trust the Bible. Okay, that's fine. We can start there. You still got to come up with the fact that something happened in history. There was some powerful event that changed the lives of so many people around the world. It changed human history. And it started one Sunday morning when Jesus' sad and dejected followers were mourning the loss of their friend, the loss of the, the, the guy they thought was the savior of their people, um, and Clearly he wasn't, though, because he was dead, and with him the movement that he started. And then they showed up on Sunday and came face to face with an empty tomb. And then they saw him, not his body, not somebody dressed as him, not somebody pretending to be him. They saw their friend, this guy that they knew intimately, that they spent three years of their life pursuing and and knowing and eating with and walking with and following every single day. They were 100% convinced that this was their friend risen from death. And after he rose, they met with him again. They listened to him teach, and they followed him all the more. And their lives changed when they found this deep, unshakable commitment in the fact that he rose from the dead and if you want to discount christianity if you want to reject even the resurrection then you've still got to explain what happened two thousand plus years ago that changed these people what happened what what took these people because again something something happened you can't deny something happened to take these people there's about probably 120 ish followers at this point they were mostly uneducated blue collar people they, were, they, they had all dispersed because they thought Jesus was dead and everything they believed was a lie. Something took this group of people and changed them into a passionate movement that would change the course of history. Because everybody tried to stop them and couldn't. On one side, you had the, uh, the Jewish temple religion trying to stop them. The, the people that were kind of responsible for Jesus being hung on the cross, Right? And they tried to hunt down Christians and get them arrested and murdered, and murdered them and, and got them out of the way. They were just trying to kill off all the Christians to get rid of the movement. And then on the other side, you had the Roman Empire, the most resourced entity on the earth with people in their armies that were professional murderers. Like that was what they were trained to do, executioners. And they were trying for years and years to kill the Christians off. And they couldn't do it either. And these Christians every now and then would get caught by these two groups and they'd try to torture them until they gave up their faith in Jesus and they wouldn't give it up. What happened? What made them so convinced? What filled them with such assurance in the, that, that Christ was their Savior that not even death itself would cause them to recant their belief? 
something changed, and that something was the resurrection. That something inspired them. That something gave them a fearlessness in the face of certain certain death. That something drove them to tell the world about Jesus, even when it cost them everything. And Jesus, because of the resurrection, is our hope even to today. What's interesting is the temple and the religion that tried to stop him, it's gone. About 70 AD, it got crushed. And now in Jerusalem, the city where the temple was, the city where the people who tried to stop Christians, uh, now you, can, you pay to go on Christian tours. In Rome, Roman Empire is no more. There's no more Caesar. There's no more king of Rome. But you know what you can see everywhere when you go to the city of Rome? Crosses everywhere. How did the movement of Jesus outlast these way more powerful entities? Something happened. Something incredible. And it started with Jesus living a perfect life. It started with him dying for our sins. And the way that makes sense is, because you might have heard Jesus died for our sins, but you might not know quite what that means. Well, the idea is that sin is to break the laws of God that he created the world to operate under. And sin always leads to death. Well, Jesus didn't have anything to die for because he never sinned. So when he died, he took on his shoulders, on his life, my sin and your sin. And he died the death that we deserved in our place so that we could have forgiveness and freedom from death. So that we could have life everlasting. It looks as as if we've never sinned when we put our faith in Jesus and let him take our sin away. And his followers, they came again. They felt like they'd lost everything. And in a day, everything changed. And their faith was not only Stronger, but it was cemented with an unshakable, rock-solid faith that could not be taken away even when they were at the business end of a sword. So you can reject Christianity, but I just want you to know it's a lot more difficult. It's not as simple as watching a few witty YouTube videos or reading some one-sided books. And so you've actually got to wrestle with a well-documented event that changed human history, Jesus rising from the dead. And many of us, that's why we're here. We're here to carry on this legacy of faith that has been rolling along unstoppably for 2,000 plus years. And we're here to celebrate on the heads and, or on the shoulders of great, perseverant men and women who would not let their faith be challenged or shaken that came before us. And the thing is, people still come here and they might think, yeah, we believe in fairy tales. Yeah, we believe in make-believe. Yeah, we believe in bedtime stories. But we just believe that God loved us so much that he came into our world on a rescue mission to save us from our sins and that he can save you as well and that he died a painful death to pay off our sin and he rose from the dead proving that he was every bit of who he said he was. And if any of this is remotely new to you, if any of this sounds remotely intriguing to you and you've not really had any Maybe you haven't ever explored faith, or maybe it's been a while since you explored faith. I just want to extend to you a simple invitation as we end our Easter time uh, this morning, our service this morning. I just want to encourage you or invite you to come back and explore faith with us. Because I think there's something very real there, not make-believe there, not just empty hope there, not something for people who are too weak to accept the reality of life and death, but I think there is a real event that happened, that changed history. And if Jesus did die and take his life back in his own hands, i got to be honest with you, I'm going to listen to everything he says. 
because I ain't, haven't seen anybody else pull that off. So if you'd like to do that, we meet here every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., and we would love to have you. We want to be a non-intimidating place for you to come and explore faith. We're not going to force anything on you. We just want you to come, give us a chance to present to you the gospel and the life change that we think Jesus can bring to you, the freedom that can come into your life when you have your sins forgiven and you can have hope that, that you can have heaven, not, not a doubtful Oh, hope one day I go to heaven, fingers crossed, but you can know with certainty that your destiny is determined. You can know with certainty that, that God is with you, growing you, leading you to something better, that he has a purpose and a place for your life, because that's what we believe is true for all of us. So I invite you back next week and any week after that, 52 Sundays out of the year, weather permitting. I've been here 12 years, we've canceled Sunday once. So if you show up on a Sunday at 10 a.m., there's real good odds that someone's going to be here. It doesn't help. When you live next door, by the way, to the church, the elder's perspective is, well, if you can get there, it's like, okay, that's okay. If I can get here and somebody else crawls through the snow, I guess we're going to keep, keep on doing this. Um, but, yeah, we'd love to have you come back. And so that part of that goes into filling out the, that little Connect card. Hopefully you got one. If you didn't get one on the way in, just stop by that wooden table after the service. I'll be out there. I'd love to talk with you, meet you. Try to learn your name. I'm terrible at it. So you can tell me your name today, and I will not remember it by the time I go home this afternoon. And uh, if you are like me, you relate, and hopefully you can show me some grace in that. Um, I remember the first Sunday I came to Loami. And again, this not knowing names thing is genetic. I've had it from birth, okay? And so I show up my first Sunday here at Loami. Everybody instantly knows my name, and I know no one's. So... It's a little bit tricky, so uh, bear with me as we try to learn you and, and we try to invite you into this church family because, again, you are incredibly welcome. We're glad you're here, and we'd love you to come back again next Sunday and the next Sunday so you can hear more about the love and grace of our Savior, who that we believe, without a shadow of a doubt, raised himself from the dead and will one day offer that same resurrection and hope to each and every one of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for the resurrection of Jesus. We're grateful that he was willing to die on a cross in our place. And I pray that we would take a second to internalize that truth. That all of us, all of us know what our worst days look like. We all know that we haven't been perfect every second of every day. We all know the, the dark seasons that we've had in our lives. The regrettable moments. And because you loved us, you didn't want us to die for our mistakes. You knew we weren't going to find our own way out of our own darkness. And so you came into our world as Jesus, and you took our sin on his shoulders, and he paid the price for our sin. He took away our sins, paid the, 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 the cost of our criminal record so that we could stand at the end of our lives forgiven and free and appearing as if we were innocent because you'd wiped our record of wrongs away and so I pray, Father, that as we come here today, that we would be in awe of the resurrection, be in awe of what Jesus did for us on the cross, so that we know that we not only are, are free from our sin, but we have hope of new life. That it's just as Jesus took his life back after death, that you're going to give us new life after our death. And so that we can follow you, devote our lives to you, we can understand and explore the purpose and the place that you have for us here in this world that can sometimes be confusing and difficult to navigate. And thank you for this church family, that each and everybody, every one of us could come here this morning and we could share a meal, 
We could share some laughs together. We could just enjoy the fact that we're here. Enjoy one another's company. Enjoy the fact that we have freedom in Christ and we're brought together by the beauty of all that you've done in our world. So thank you and maybe we be filled with gratitude, not only today because it's Easter, but may we, may we wake up every single day with that hope of the life that we have through you and through Christ. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.